Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast that dives deep into the climate crisis and comes up with solutions that work. Can't stop, won't stop pool puns. I'm Molly Wood. Last week, I interviewed someone who wants to pivot into a career in climate, but you don't have to get a whole new job to build sustainability and solutions into your work. You can actually just layer on the eco-friendly stuff like schmear on a bagel, and suddenly you're differentiated and you've future-proofed your job. It's your lane. Now, since the San Francisco Bay Area is a land of early adoption on the climate front, especially after the drought, heat, and wild winter we had in 2022 and 23, I called up Bay Area real estate agent Anna Forrest, who happens to be my real estate agent. My name is Anna Forrest. I am a realtor with Red Oak Realty. To ask her what her clients are asking for in terms of climate awareness and adaptation. It's definitely becoming a bigger part of the conversation. Every year, every year that we have fires and atmospheric rivers and heat waves, every year it becomes a bigger part of the conversation. So there are some buyers who are looking for a lot of quote unquote green features Mm -hmm. in their homes or around their homes, amenities like charging stations or solar. Those are still amenities. They're not included yet. (laughs) Got it. Yep. And then there's a lot of conversation about just how we conduct our business in general and how how new real estate is happening, new buildings, and just how we work day to day. What kind of cars are we driving? How much paper are we producing? Are we offering throwaway one-use plastic bottles at our open houses? All of these kinds of things are starting to come up. Interesting. All right. Well, let's sort of like take these in order one at a time. How are people thinking about risk? Like, is that a question that they're asking you when they're home buying. You know, it's funny. We've always had a lot of natural hazards in our area. We are rich in geological hazards where we live. So we have all kinds of things like earthquakes and ground movement and mudslides and earth slides, things like that, that we've been talking about for many years because we live on a fault or many faults here. And so that's always been kind of part of the conversation. And there are some people that just do not want to live near an earthquake fault, or do not want to live anywhere near where there's ground movement. But now, the last five, 10 years, we're also a bigger part of that conversation is high fire zones, which a huge, huge amount of territory in our Bay Area is in high fire zone. Basically, you know, I had a big conversation with an insurance agent recently. And he told me, if you can see the Bay, if you have a view, you're in a high fire zone. Even if you don't feel like you're in the middle of trees. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, in the insurance thing, let's like let's double huge. click on that. That's huge. And I know this from my own home shopping experience, which is like, it could be a deal killer if you can't insure your house. Right. So if you have a loan, and even if you don't, but if you have a loan, you have to have owner's insurance. You cannot get a loan if you don't have it. 
And it's really difficult sometimes to get insurance. In fact, in California and some of our areas here, it's almost impossible. So yeah, buying home insurance, all of our buyer clients, as soon as they're interested in any house, before we write the offer, I ask them to go ahead and get an insurance quote because A, you want to make sure that that house is insurable. And B, you want to make sure that you can get a policy that you're okay with what it costs. We were looking at a house a couple of weeks ago where the insurance quote was over $10,000 a year. Whoa. So you're paying your mortgage, you're paying your property tax, add another nearly $1,000 a month to insure your house. How often would you say that comes up as a a deal breaker for a, a house? And is it more than it used to be? Much more than it used to be way more than it used to be just the last two years. I've had, I've definitely had clients that walked away from a potential deal because insurance was just so expensive. So as this idea of climate risk becomes more relevant to home buyers, there's a website called climatecheck.com that lets you put in your address and check your exposure to five categories of risk, fire, drought, storm, heat, and flood. Anna and I talked about how some of those are becoming a bigger deal in some unexpected ways, like heat. We don't have air conditioning in the Bay Area, and all of a sudden heat is like a thing. Yeah, so heat is, they define as the number of extreme heat days experienced each year in in this location. So I've been in real estate since the 90s, oh my God, here. (laughs) But I also grew up in the Bay Area, and the Bay Area has always been very temperate. We We don't get very hot, we don't get very cold, it's super comfortable mid-70s all year, right? But there would be like five or six really hot days a year. And so when we first started in real estate, we would hold an open house and somebody would walk in and say, oh, does this house have air conditioning? And we would all be like, oh, they're not from around here. (laughs) (laughs) We'd just be like all snarky and snipey. You're not from here. We don't need air conditioning. We just open a window, you know, open two windows, get cross ventilation. And we kept saying that and and being all smug. Until a few years ago, when suddenly those five or six hot days a year turned into a week, two weeks, a couple of weeks, and you know, it's going to continue. And so now, yes, we are seeing way more homes that have air conditioning uh, or split cell or some kind of, you know, climate control for inside the house. What's interesting to me is the things that people didn't, wouldn't necessarily have thought about, like certainly heat in the Bay Area is one, but I feel like even drought is an interesting buying consideration. It is, it's funny because I grew up in the 70s and so we actually had our drought in the back then, way before your time. And so drought was a thing and we did have water conservation and we talked about it a lot. And then I don't know what happened. It started to rain. We stopped talking about it. Right. The reservoirs filled up and we were fine. Well, the conversation is coming back and water has always been a huge issue in California, Southern California, Northern California, the fight for water, agriculture. I mean, it's deep. There's a lot. But drought here, I mean, <laughs> this is going to sound super snobby and not very PC, but I had a client who wanted to buy a house in Marin and they wanted to put a pool in. And because of the drought, there is a pool moratorium in Marin County. You cannot put a pool in because there's not enough water. And so they were like, oh, well, I guess we're not going to buy a house there. Or actually, they did buy a house, but they didn't put a pool in. Fascinating. I know. And that's like, that's not very life and death, but that's just like a tiny little example. Well, no, I mean, that's that's like a perfect example, actually, of the kinds of adaptations that are 
that I thought were many, many years out. I didn't know they were saying, absolutely not. You're not going to be allowed to. Yeah. I, I mean, I will tell you, I had a, I have a pool and I had my pool redone when I moved in and then had to refill it with the hose. At night. I thought, <laughs> I thought the cops were going to come. I mean, I literally was like, you can't just fill up a pool with the hose. I was horrified. Listen, last summer. At myself. I mean, I, again, it's like, it's so in the big scheme of things, you know, I have to try to always have perspective. But it was super frustrating. We were not allowed to power wash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you're getting a house ready for sale and you want everything to look clean and beautiful and crisp and sharp, you're going to power wash the front of the house and the driveway and sometimes the house itself. And it uses a lot of water. We are not allowed to do that anymore. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> it's totally. Like, it's not a big deal, but, you know. It's, it makes a difference. It's a difference. <laughs> it, was an, it was an impact and mm-hmm. it made a difference. And things didn't look as good and sharp and clean. So all we could do is say, hey, we're in a drought. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Little, Just little things like that. But the pool, the power washing, and that brings us to landscaping. Mm-hmm. So when we get houses ready for market or if you're a homeowner already, you want to have a beautiful garden with good curb appeal, make it look good. We get frowned upon if we put a lawn in. Do not put lawns in anymore. You know, some houses really want a lawn. And if you have little kids, you want a lawn that they can roll around on or pets even. But no, it, it's it's really not cool anymore to have a lawn. Yeah. People were painting their grass green last year when we weren't allowed to water. Yeah. For sale? <laughs> like to get the house ready for sale, they were painting it? Yeah, for wow. sale. And just like some people that just wanted their yard to look nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people have made the switch. And so we're now we're seeing these drought tolerant gardens with a lot of native plants and succulents and cacti. I think they're beautiful. What I do hear you saying is all of these things are considerations in every little part of the business, whether you're selling or or buying. Yeah. It's true. And I didn't realize it until you and I started talking about it because I thought, oh, well, real estate, we don't. <laughs> what do we know about green? Well, the more I thought about it, read about it, talked about it, listened to podcasts about it, I thought, oh my gosh, actually every single part of our business touches the climate in some way. I found an article, uh, a report that a real estate company that starts with a Z that I don't want to talk about. She means Zillow. <laughs> came out with, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they they did a report that, that said that um, listings that highlight eco-friendly features sell faster and higher, which, you know, I didn't do the report. I haven't studied it. I don't know the, all the analytics, but they're talking about electric vehicle chargers, homes that are equipped with climate-related features like... Well, not here, but in other areas like hurricane shelters or still some houses that are being built higher up to avoid floods, dual pane windows, all of these kinds of features that help with energy efficiency actually make the house sell faster and higher. And they did, they really analyzed it and dug deep and they have what the price premium is or how much more quickly the house sold for each one of these little amenities. Wow. Fascinating. Each of these features and yeah, tankless water heaters. It goes on and on. There's a whole list. It's pretty, it was pretty interesting. And then on the seller side, so it sounds like when you're prepping a house for sale, it sounds like it's a big consideration. Are there, is there anything that you would advise a seller? For example, I know that you and I ran into this fun solar lease situation, which is, you know, leased solar versus own solar, which I feel like was sort of a, we both were like, Oh, this is a thing. Now, this was three years ago, but yeah, but it was 
three years ago, but so much has happened. And so many more homes with solar have come on the market, so much so, and so many snafus and, and complications, as we know, that we now have uh, CAR, California Association of Realtors, has just come out with last month a new form, because that's what they love to do. We have a new form about solar systems, and it's several pages of legalese and lots of paragraphs, probably almost assuredly as a result of litigation that must have happened at some point. But now there are forms saying, what kind of solar system is it? Is it leased? Is it owned? How does that pass from the owner to the buyer? Da, 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 da. It's very, very detailed now. Mm. So that came a little too late for us, right? <laughs> but yay for, for future buyers and sellers. But it is a thing to, it, it is, I mean, we should, maybe we should just be more explicit. So when you, yeah, if you buy a house and the owners have leased their solar system, which is a very popular way to get solar because it's extremely expensive upfront. Mm. If they sell you the house, you have to take over the lease and that can get a little bit complicated. It can, in our case, it delayed closing. In, in almost every case it does because not only do you have to qualify for the loan to buy your house, now you have to qualify to, for your lease for your solar system. Wow. So it's like pulling your credit again. It's like applying for a loan all over again after you just did. And of course you have dings on your credit because you just applied for a loan. It's complicated. It's when we have sellers that have uh, solar systems, we encourage them to purchase them outright before we go to market so that they're owned. It just, yeah, it's part of the problem. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and Red Oak is big, but I wonder how much of this conversation is spreading nationally. Like you must attend, yeah. you know, national real estate conventions. Is this a conversation that's sort of just in the Bay Area and New York, or are you starting to hear it elsewhere? No, we are. We're hearing it elsewhere. I and mean, it's it's interesting because I think that the buyers and sellers here in the Bay Area, it's such it's such a big part of our lives. We see so many, you know, Teslas and, and Prius. What's the plural of Prius? Is it pre I? I call it pre I. I go <laughs> I go all the way to pre I. Yeah. <laughs> so many of these electric cars on the road. It's for us it's really very normal. But in other areas, it's starting to to pick up more. So I was reading in the National Association of Realtors, they did a study on sustainability and what issues in sustainability are, are impacting our industry. And I learned, which I didn't even know that 32% of all MLS, that's multiple listing service, that's basically the database that real estate agents use to find houses and sell houses, they are including some kind of field to promote green features. So I just got on the phone and I talked to our MLS guy and I said, do we have green features in our MLS? He's like, yeah, there's a checkbox if there's solar, there's a checkbox if there are any energy saving features in the property. Hmm. And so, yes, that's those are new. Those are new in the last couple of years that we as realtors, when we're inputting information about a new listing, we can input that, which means that on the other side, a buyer can search for that. So if that's really important to you, you can filter out all listings that don't have energy savings features or only look for energy saving feature homes. Mm -hmm. We're promoting it more in our listings as well, those kinds of features in the marketing. So if I have those kinds of features, for sure. I always include that in the description. I'll talk about it in the narrative, but I'll also put it in the bullet points, EV charger or, you know, solar panel. Those are important. Those are extra kind of luxurious features almost Yeah. because 
not only does it help to save the earth, save you money, it's a little bit of a status thing too. I like this, that it's a status thing. That is, um, yeah. I, I tend to think that when it comes to widespread adoption, you either have to have like price parity or aspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And if these, beca- if these are aspirational features, then they'll be broadly adopted. And then that's how they gain that kind of wide appeal. Aspirational for sure. Yeah. I mean, people want to say they have solar. People want to not just save money and save the world, but they kind of want to say it too. <laughs> yeah. You can't put a price on smug. You can. <laughs> we can try. <laughs> we can try. <laughs> Notwithstanding the smugness, Anna told me it is becoming a point of differentiation for real estate agents to get educated and even certified in helping clients with climate-friendly upgrades on the seller side and helping buyers understand what to look for. The National Association of Realtors now offers a green designation to agents who take courses online about energy efficiency and sustainability. They even have an online directory of green agents across the country, so you could shop for that specifically. There's a link to that and more information in this week's newsletter at mollywood.co. After the break, I've got friends in all the right places. My interior designer friend joins me to talk about eco-friendly options for your remodel. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. We're talking about how climate solutions are affecting real estate and interior design. And now I'm going to talk to my friend, the designer. My name is Salisa Ullman, and I am an interior designer. I specialize in kitchen and bath design in the state of California. I'm a certified interior designer, so I have the CID after my name. This means she's a hard hat designer, not the decorating kind. Although, if you get her going, she will tell you a lot about sustainable alternatives to that cheap crap you're tempted to buy to dress things up for a season or two. Salisa says for a long time, and kind of still today, most of her climate-friendly design choices have come because of state or federal restrictions. There are long-standing energy efficiency rules from the federal government, and in the state of California, there are all kinds of building rules. You have to have LED lighting, no incandescent bulbs allowed. There are water restrictions that mandate low-flow toilets and shower heads. And consumers are starting to ask about sustainable or recycled building materials, especially if they're cheaper. So Lisa gave me a couple examples of places to start. So some really common things, and people appreciate this too from a practical perspective, when it comes to like countertop materials, there's the, the term that's used is quartz, but people get confused. So I coin it as engineered quartz, which means it's an engineered man-made product. And um, for countertops, I really like it because it's a recycling type of material. So if you think about these natural stones that are being quarried out of the earth, when marble, granite, and quartzite are being harvested, it's generating a lot of quartz dust. 
And so what these engineered quartz materials do is they harvest all of that dust that otherwise would go into waterways or into landfill. They make it into something new. It's recycled and it's wonderfully easy to use from a client perspective because this is a man-made product that requires no maintenance. And then other things when it comes to things like tile. So there's recycled glass, there's tiles like fire clay, you know, as a brand based here in San Francisco, they do a lot of recycled content in their materials, which is great. Okay, give me just give me more. Give me like the rundown of cool stuff that we do not know exists that we could be using. Yeah. So I think when it comes to other ways of thinking about heating, I'm seeing it a lot of new builds are, you know, hydro electric heat. So thermal heat in their floors. So electric radiant heat, Mm -hmm. thermal radiant heat, because it's not heating the air, but it's heating harder surfaces in your home, which radiates the heat in a more efficient way. Right. And it touches your body rather than just heating the air. Interesting. That sounds lovely. And how hard is it to do that as a remodel? Probably hard. Yeah. And the um, hydro option, not so readily available, but you can do electric radiant heat, which is you know easy to consider. So you can put it underneath engineered hardwood flooring. You can put it underneath tile. That's a wonderful thing that I incorporate a lot when it comes to bathroom remodels is to put the electric radiant heat down because, you know, you don't need to have forced air in your bathroom. You just want the nice touch of a warm floor on your feet. Exactly. You just want toasty tootsies. It is like the most luxurious (laughs) way to live. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Anything else? Well, we talked a little bit about bamboo. I think there is like sort of a growing awareness of bamboo. Do you mostly use it in floors? Can it be countertops or not countertops, cabinets? What is it? Cabinets. Yeah. Bamboo cabinets. Fabulous. Furniture materials, accessory materials. But I like it a lot as flooring. I think you can achieve some really interesting design uh, characteristics with it, too, because how it is cut can be different. You can dye it. It can stain it. It's it's quite versatile. So, you know, in the climate world, we talk about mitigation. That's lessening the overall impact in carbon emissions. And then there's adaptation, the part where you have to do stuff to your house to deal with extreme weather and other changes that result from global warming, which can range from full-on prepper slash clever irrigation techniques... Some other things that I'm seeing that people are interested in are, um, you know, capturing gray water. So especially here in the state of California, where we mostly live in drought situations, capturing rainwater, using it in landscaping applications, home cisterns. You know, those are things that I'm seeing. Two slightly more obvious upgrades, like better windows or something I've been looking into lately, window film, basically stickers that can reduce the UV and heat that comes in or leaves through your windows or even reflect back sunlight so it doesn't get so hot in homes that don't have air conditioning. Then there's even simpler stuff, says Salisa. Window coverings, so things that can offer some thermal qualities, like if you think of those cellular shades, those help with insulation quite a bit. There are the honeycomb shades 
and some honeycomb shades have multiple layers inside. There's solar shades, so you know if you have a western exposure, you can put your window coverings on a timer so that they come down and keep the heat from coming into your home, which is fantastic. Yeah, I want that. Who wants to do a climate makeover show at my house? All right, there's also a lot less sexy and visible things. Insulation has become a huge thing, so it's kind of like if you, if you, sure, I get it. Like, you know, we put an AC in our home too, but, you know, hand and glove to that process was like, we got to insulate this thing. And we lived in a home where there was no attic. And so what we did is we did rigid insulation when we planned for our new roof. You know, so it's a four inch core that is a solid type of insulation as opposed to the bats or the blow-in type insulation. And then there's all sorts of cool like recycled type insulation products too. There's people out there that are collecting clothing. And so it's like you can have your insulation in your attic be like shredded denim. And it's really, really efficient. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, so it's recycling both because, you know, textiles, like that's the worst polluter, right? And so it's like you're taking that out of, the environment and putting it to better use, which I think is fantastic. Side note, Salisa and her husband also put a metal roof on their house because we live in fire country now. You remember what Anna was saying about insurance. Ultimately, Salisa says no matter what you're doing in a redesign or what you're using, the key is to try to build it to last. I often think in terms of like durability, because again, in this industry, it's really the sad thing I see is like what ends up in landfills. So when I'm making finished choices, it's about longevity, timelessness, durability, because, you know, we're trying to keep stuff out of the landfills and how it is right now, you know, the life cycle of your average kitchen is about 15 years. And so if we can choose something that will last longer, like maybe you really do want those marble floors. And if you love them, if you want to, you know, change something in the future, but maybe you can keep your floors, right? Mm -hmm. So being mindful for things like that. Recycled content when it comes to tile, even with furniture and oh, and building materials too, when it comes to you know, a lot of reclaimed wood, a lot of that stuff I think is visually super attractive, but you can use it in ways like um, ceiling details. Mm -hmm. You can turn it into uh, furniture you can use it as, you know, making interesting barn doors. So there, there's a lot of ways that we can kind of recycle yeah. what's already exists. And if you're out there thinking, okay, well, I'm a designer. I want to build this into my practice. Get ready for some shoe leather. I mean, there really is no handbook, you know, in terms of like if you if we were designing like a LEED certified building, right? Wouldn't it be great to have a list that'd be like, oh, I'm going to select this brand X of windows and this brand X of flooring, this brand X of paint. That list doesn't really exist. Actually, as it happens, I do know of a startup that's building something like this list. That is coming up in a future episode. And that is it for this episode of Everybody in the Pool. Thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're using. Email your thoughts and ideas to in at everybodyinthepool.com. And for an even deeper dive, sign up for my newsletter at mollywood.co. And remember, together, we can get this done. See you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.